oh, you came back again. I'd ask why, but I, I just don't care. Today's podcast is sponsored by Grimlick's Animal Avatars and Familiars for personages of a magical or sorcerous persuasion. Wow, they really picked a name that rolls off the tongue. Grimlicks stocks creatures of all sizes, from magical cockroaches, enchanted boa constrictors, all the way through to medium-sized cats and trick bears. All of these familiars are perfectly suited for enhancing the image of... Uh, uh, honestly, familiars are so last century. I've been using the Scribone 8 Plus for a year now, and I'm very happy with it. What? Oh, go to Grimlicks Animal Avatars and Familiars if you want a ridiculous and glorified pet. Now get on with the podcast, which today features the usual lesser henchmen, Ras Morrissey and Peter Coffey. Get on with it. The sooner you get started, the sooner it will be over. Hello, 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 and welcome to Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. I am Russ, a.k.a. Morris, or Morris, a.k.a. Russ, and it's a very, very special day today because it's Monday. Woo! Wait, what? Yes, and also for another reason. I hope it's a better reason. Because not not only do I have my usual co-host with me, who is... Peter Coffey from the Southampton Guild of Role Players, as always, completely and absolutely stoked to be here, Russ. Stoked, mate. Well, like we, have a, we have a super, super, super special guest. Really? Who's that? And who? it's not even my first time on the show, technically. Technically. <laughs> so, listeners, uh, if you could write in and guess who our special guest is. <laughs> no, don't I'll get do back that. to you next week. You're the worst Hello, host. I am. Di- <laughs> worst host. No, um, everyone, uh, please make very welcome our our editor, Daryl Mott, who, in addition to editing the, this amazing podcast, also finds time to be a game journalist as well, amongst other things. That is very true. I I write the weekly News Digest column, which was actually just a temporary title I came up with, News Digest, because that's what it was. But I write that for Ian World, and it's just stuck for like two years now. And it's really super useful for this podcast as well. I know. Uh, It's it's very good, and you know what? It's a good name. You're expecting the news in a digested form. Blam. Exactly. Yeah. That's what it says on the tin. Yeah. Peter's favourite naming convention. Absolutely. It makes it much easier to guess what it's about. <laughs> yes. So, Peter, what's caught your eyes this week? Oh, very excitingly, there was a post on Reddit, which was... That does not sound likely. A post on Reddit? There was a post on Reddit. I know, hard to believe. I, but this I one was all about multiclassing. The Gentleman DM's Guide to Multiclassing. Uh, it went through in some length about the different ways and benefits of how one can multiclass effectively in 5th edition D&D, which, if you've never tried it before, can be quite interesting. It's very poss- It's very easy to accidentally break your character or make them less good, but this uh, was a sort of a beginner's guide about how to go about it and different combinations that work. And, yeah, that's quite nice. It's like it uh, gives you an experiment into sort of almost game designing without having to, like, change things too much. And I always like try- trying new and exciting flavour combinations. I never thought balsamic glaze and strawberries would work. Turns out I was totally wrong. Okay, then. So, um, Daryl, what's caught your eye, mate? Well, what's caught my eye is American politics. Oh, God. No, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. Don't, don't, don't run, don't run. This is not that kind of politics. What it is, uh, there was a recent election here, and there was a local election, and a lot of local elections in the United States, if they end in a draw after a runoff and blah, blah, they got these rules, but they also do what's called 
drawing lots to determine the race, which is just, if they're tied, they just pick randomly. Uh-huh. And in California, there was a race where there were 110 voters uh-huh. and two candidates got 51 votes each. So in order to determine randomly who would win, they went to one of the clerks D&D sets and got a D20 <laughs> to roll off. And why else? And and not only that, but the winner won with a natural 20. Oh, really? Nice. I think if yep. you rolled a natural 20, you deserve to win. In fact, you deserve to get the office above the office you were going for. Oh, nice. Like, <laughs> improve, improve it's, it's, it should be like a ranking system. So if, if you were going for like, oh, I'm going to try and remember my American political stuff. So if you were going for like a Senate thing, you would become president hmm. instead. So you sort or a governor thing, or was that a different thing? So, I don't know. So, don't, don't don't explain it. I don't know. I don't well, 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 um, well, you know what? <laughs> it might work out better all told than the current system. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah, I mean, However, <laughs> this election was for uh, the Byron Bethany Irrigate, Irrigation District's board seat. Uh, so that sounds not exactly <laughs> that critical of a position. To allow and such important things to be decided by the roll of dice. I'm shocked at the state of the first leg. I know. I know. So, yes. anyway, Russ, yes. what's caught your eye? Ooh, well, let me ask you some questions. Do you like D&D? Yeah, it's right. Eh. Do you like castles? Often, yeah, yeah. They're quite fun. You, got, you guys live in England. Don't you, like, have castles everywhere? Like, you each have your own castle? Yeah, yeah I live in a castle, yeah, yeah. Englishman's totally. home is his castle. That's <laughs> yeah, pretty much insane. How, how would you like to play D&D in a castle? Well, it's a bit old hat, but I suppose I could try it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you can, you can, uh, you can actually do that if you've got quite a bit of money. Is it? Is this actual D and D, or is this like laughing ring around it's people's actual swords? Actual D and D. It's actual D and D. So um, it's a, a Canadian company that set oh, this yeah, up. They do it every year, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, there's three events this uh, in 2019. Ooh. In three different castles here in the UK. I think last year they had them in different places in Europe, but. Uh, three castles here in the UK. They get they get some uh, they they send some world class uh, DMs, which tend to be sort of uh, people like the Maze Arcana people or the Nerd Archie people and stuff like that. So sort of uh, streamers and uh, podcasters and things like that. Yep. And what you do is you pay up front, uh-huh. and you get to stay there for I think it's four days. Yeah, four days. Uh-huh. All accommodation, uh, all food included, and uh, lots and lots of D and D games run by uh, these professional DMs. And the pictures on their site are absolutely gorgeous. These rooms are like all laid out perfectly for exactly what you're imagining if you're playing D&D at a table in a castle. There is a slight catch, though. Mm-hmm. Have you seen the prices? $2,600. Uh, I, specific- yeah. <laughs> I have specifically not looked at the prices. Oh, we don't wish for in your dreams. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's really quite expensive. It's but, really I not mean, cheap. If, if you got $2,600 per person lying around, then this is absolutely fantastic, and you should totally get on that. Should, should we do some news? What about some oh, news? Oh, go on. Let's let's talk some news. Okay, let's do some news. Right, let's have a look. What's in the news? Right. Uh, Starfinder Critical Hit Deck. Mm. I always enjoy a good critical hit, and uh, there was always one for Pathfinder, which essentially, when you got a critical hit, Mm-hmm. Obviously, in Pathfinder, normally you just do double damage. Yeah, yeah. A bit boring, really, that, isn't it? You can spice that up a bit. So what you've got is a is a deck of cards, and when you do a critical hit, you take a card, and it gives you a, a critical effect. And it's also a fumble deck as well, I think. 
separately you can get but uh, a, a critical hit and then uh, there'll be four different effects on there this was the uh, Pathfinder version uh-huh. there'll be a slashing a piercing a bludgeoning bludgeoning and a magic effect yep uh, um, so now there's a Starfinder one uh, and I haven't seen any of the actual cards but I'm assuming it's slashing piercing bludgeoning and I don't know just sort of energy or something I don't know what the fourth thing will be on that one something exciting yeah their, their yeah. damage types are kind of a little or a lot different on Starfinder because they've got energy weapons and ballistic weapons and whatnot. Mm. Mm-hmm. but I, I've always loved that game mastery series for the decks anything like that anything that adds more randomness to a game is always fun yeah I, I like cards as long as you don't have too many of them I mean do you remember the uh, well probably quite a lot of the Fantasy Flight uh, Warhammer stuff I kind of found I had so many cards in front of me and tokens and stuff like that that I might as well have been playing a board game. It took up so much space in front of me, all this real estate on the table. Yeah, I mean... So, you know, the occasional cards are right, but not too many. So, sticking on the subject of Pezo... Yes? PezoCon 2019 tickets are now available. So, PezoCon is obviously a convention. It's over in Seattle in the US, and it's, uh, it's on its 11th year now. Uh-huh. And it's in May next year, 24th to the 27th. So if you want to head along there, and basically you get to hang out with all of the Pezo staff and loads and loads of different Pathfinder and Starfinder fans and that sort of stuff, get exclusive product announcements. Um, they do this big sort of banquet thing where they have a, a big banquet and they um, have people like Eric Mona and different people up on stage just sort of like giving big presentations and announcements and exclusive updates on upcoming stuff. Um, so that is now available for booking online. Oh. Should you wish to go. I've never been. I would like to one day, but it's a long, long way. Uh, it's in uh, it's Seattle, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's not it's not just America, it's the other side of America, is it? That Yeah, I'm in I'm in the middle of America in Texas, and mm. that is a long way from me too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I may be closer to you than Seattle almost. Uh. Probably not, but yeah. Maybe in travel yeah. time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, okay, uh, That's like, what else is on the news? Oh, right. Do you remember Daredevil? Uh, I have some passing acquaintance with it. Do you remember True Blood? Uh, not something I was oh. big on. What about you, Daryl? Oh, uh, True Blood was... I, I was really into the Sookie Sackhouse novels before the show came on. So. so you were reading them before it became fashionable. I understand. Yeah, I'm a hipster. <laughs> I'm an urban fantasy hipster. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, so what, what what did Daredevil and True Blood have in common? Pop quiz. Deborah, crap, I can't remember her last name. Ann Wall? Deborah yes. Ann Wall. Oh. Uh, so she's in both of those shows, and now she's going to be in a brand new show um, being oh. made by the company that owns Geek and Sundry and Nerdist. Oh, yeah. And yeah. it's based on D&D. With her in this... I, I'm not 100% clear on the format from the description. It says it's part procedural, part game, part graphic adventure, based on D&D, and it's got uh, Deborah Ann Wall in a, a role as both dungeon master and storyteller. Interesting. So I'm not 100% sure how that's going to manifest. Uh, but I guess we'll find out in February, because it's, it's going to be on their uh, alpha online subscription service which has some of the Geek and Sundry and Nerdist shows on it. Um, yeah, it's uh, um, Alpha. Uh, uh, I think their parent company is Legendary, is it? Yes. Yeah, something like that, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, we'll find out in February exactly how that works out. But, um, yeah, they say it's uh, it's set in a mysterious uh, curio shop uh-huh. in the sleepy town of Bellrook, Bellbrook, even, called Relics and Rarities, 
and uh, it combines gripping storytelling, thrilling gameplay, and a dash of the unknown as the cast completes puzzles, fulfills missions, and wields their chosen relics in ways that fans of RPG shows have never seen. Mm. Interestingly, they've got people like a chap called Tommy Walker from Daredevil and Henry Danger, Julie Dennis from Lofty Dreams and What Would You Do, Jasmine mm. Bullock, Starter Kit, Vampire the Masquerade, Twitch's That Bronze Girl, and uh, Xander Ginnerette, King of Nerds, Sagas of Sindri. So and, that sounds like... And Secret Celebrity Guests. Secret Celebrity Guests. Mm. Nice. Exciting. Well, it sounds like a, an interesting drop-in, drop-out. I'm quite interested by what the whole graphic... What's it? Graphic novel, did they say? No. Yeah, quite, so it doesn't sound... Graphic from adventure. From what I can make out, it doesn't sound like she's just running a D&D game. No. It sounds like something more than that, but I don't... And it seems to be set kind of in the, in the modern world. Hmm. Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. We'll find out, I guess, in February. It'll be interesting to see what unique selling point she gets to... Maybe it's like a, a sort of existing Mazes and Monsters type thing and the players end up in the D&D world or something. I don't know. Or maybe something like The Gamers where uh, there's in-universe and there's out-of-universe. Yeah, maybe. Oh, yeah, maybe that. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that could be fun. Yeah. Um, well, we shall look forward to finding out about that. I think, was it February 4th it comes out? Hmm. Yes, indeed. Oh. Okay, what else is in the news? Onwards. Oh, this is a... This is a interesting one. You know, Greg Stafford died recently. We mentioned that yeah, a few yeah. weeks ago. The, the guy um, so who his, did Call of Cthulhu, Blount for a RuneQuest, all that sort of jazz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's uh, a... Very, very uh, big respected hobbit, yes, yeah. His masterpiece, uh, uh, is what he, he refers to as his masterpiece, was uh, King Arthur Pendragon, role-playing in legendary Britain. Um, so this was originally published, you know, decades ago. And yeah. uh, the game has passed... Uh, 1985. Through, yeah, uh, the game has passed Ooh. through um, various owners since. Chaosium originally, uh, Nocturnal Media. Uh, uh, went from Chaosium, Chaosium to White Wolf. Uh, Chaosium yeah, yeah. No, no, to I actually typed this earlier. Green like, Knight to White Wolf <laughs> to Nocturnal. Yeah, Chaosium, Green Knight Publishing, White Wolf Publishing, and Nocturnal Media. Now returning to Chaosium, its original publisher. Oh. Uh, nice. So Steve Wick spoke um, on behalf of Nocturnal Media, who uh, until recently had had, had rights to it, uh, on the transition back. Um, and basically, um, I'm not going to read it all out because it's quite a long one, but it's quite a touching little um, story about uh, his brother, uh, Stuart Wick, and uh, uh, Greg mm. Stafford himself, both who sadly passed in the last couple of years, and uh, mm -hmm. how, how they all feel it's right that, um, that the game go back to Chaosium. And that Chaosium be the one to sort of like spark, you know, the new flame and bring it back to life. Oh, it is, it is quite. I think that's worth sticking a link in the show notes to because it's quite a touching little little anecdote there. Which you know, I don't want to read it all out, but it's uh, it's quite nice. Yeah, it was, yeah, it's a story of dueling toasts between Stafford and yeah, Rick, and yeah. it's it is it's it's really a beautiful story. Um, and also, Nocturnal did run a Kickstarter last year, I think, where they brought it up to a fifth edition for Pendragon. Mm. And now uh, Chaosium's releasing a 5.2 edition update to the rules edition to Pendragon. By 5th edition, you mean 5th edition of... 5th edition of the Pendragon yeah. rule set, not D&D 5th &D yeah. edition. No. See? Oh, okay. So this is, this is no, the problem we run to, because uh, Peter and I always just called it... You called it 5th ed, and I called it 5e. Yeah, yeah. And, and then you just say the words 5th edition there, uh, Daryl, and I automatically jump to D&D. Yeah. Do you know mm. what I mean? It's just this... Yeah. Right, slightly annoying kind of um, way things have worked out on how basic, normal, colloquial reference to D&D &D 
Or should we move on with the news? Yes, let's. Okay, next in the news, Beowulf and Greeks. Not at the same time, but they're both in the same news item. Uh, so the a former creative director over at Cubicle 7, John uh-huh. Hodgson, uh, yep. Cubicle 7's uh, recently relocated to Ireland. Uh-huh. John Hodgson is up in Scotland, I believe. Um, so um, he's no longer with Cubicle 7, because he oh. presumably didn't want to relocate to Ireland. I don't know why. But anyway, he started a new company of his own. Uh-huh. And uh, it's called Handiwork Games, and uh, they've announced two games uh-huh. so far. Uh, the first one is Hellenistica, no, Hellenistica uh-huh. which is a Greek D&D 5th edition setting by Ken Height. Oh, there's a lot of those come out, haven't there? Because we, we, we've had one on Guess the Kickstarter. Yeah, we mentioned it a while back. Twice. Yeah. Well, we've had two on Guess the Kickstarter, actually. Yeah. Or there's been at least one on Guess the Kickstarter and one also released. And then we got the video game developer who's starting his own company that's doing a Greek-themed setting, too. Yes, there's that. From a couple months ago. Yeah. Ah, okay. And also there's a few Roman and Egyptian ones out there, too. So people mm-hmm. do seem to be, like, delving into ancient history for a lot of their settings. Hmm. Which I think, Which I think is pretty bloody awesome, actually. Yeah. It'll make a change from fantasy Europe. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And well, what, what, so, I, so, I, don't know, I, think, I think Greek counts as fantasy Europe, doesn't it? Well, sort of, yeah. But it's, it, it's from the classical age rather than like yeah. pseudo-medieval. And that is quite a different uh, flavour and setting okay. for a game, in my opinion. Yeah, I think the description actually calls this one uh, Hellenistic Age. Mm. So presumably about, yeah, your full-on classical anti- antiquity and... Antiquarian? Mm-hmm. No. It's got, it's, it's, they've, got quite, they've got quite a good little um, tagline for this game. Uh-huh. Live fast, love well, leave a good-looking mosaic. <laughs> <laughs> and Peter face bombs. <laughs> and that's... Uh, oh, that's uh, with Ken Height, I see. Yes, yes. Yep. Uh, he's yeah. uh, obviously an industry veteran responsible for a lot of really, really good stuff. Um, he's heavily involved with Pelgrane Press as well with a lot of their gumshoe stuff and uh, Knights Black Agents and all sorts of things so um, that will probably be awesome yes um, and I'm sure it will probably come to Kickstarter as well I'll be amazed if it doesn't absolutely uh, so, yeah, so sure try and forget Beowulf it Beowulf game looks interesting too yeah so the other one's Beowulf I was just going to say try and forget it before the Kickstarter though Peter otherwise uh, <laughs> <laughs> otherwise our game won't work I can't make that promise, Russ. Beowulf Beowulf, is the other one. Uh, A mythic setting. This one is slightly different because it's for one DM, again for 5th edition, D&D 5th edition, one DM and one player. Oh, interesting. It says, one of the uh, oldest recorded stories in Western Europe, a tale of hero against monster, is a setting and rule set for D&D 5th edition, Designed primarily for duet play, one GM and one player. Mm-hmm. Okay, no, that sounds uh, that sounds very interesting. Yeah, oh, I, I think so. I wonder if this is going to start being a trend for 2019, because this is the second or third time I've seen duet play suddenly start yeah, coming up. Yeah, Well, there's definitely could be a demand for it. Yeah. It's like just trying to synchronize schedules with other people. That's hard. Um, mm. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, okay. So if you, can't, if you can't have a regular D&D night, or you find yourself, I don't know, parents of young children and you both want to play D&D then this could uh, well be a fantastic setting for you so yeah uh, I, w- I welcome 
This expansion of diversity in role-playing. Fantastic. So you want to know what these things are going to look like. Um, so John Hodgson, Hodgson did a lot of the art in the One Ring RPG and Adventures mm. in Middle-Earth and all that. So I assume the art style is going to be very similar to that. Mm. And that's some gorgeous, gorgeous art. Oh, yeah. Nice. And he's very good at uh, creating art, which really conjures the setting, you know, has the, exactly the right style and feel for the setting, which I think is always really important in, a, in an RPG book. Because if you if you if you mismatch the art style with the setting, I think it can be quite jarring. Oh, absolutely! And there was one neat thing I saw in the release on their website. There's actually a third game they're launching. That's a board game. Oh yeah, it's called The Forest Dragon by Rory Age Nine, oh. and Hodgson's son designed the game. Wow, he's nine years old, and he's doing the art along with his little brother Ben. And John's actually helping him out, like making it all professionally. But it's still this game about a dragon and there's already three expansions planned it's kind of cute hmm. cool i mean it's exactly the sign of a story you'd expect from a nine-year-old designing the forest dragon yeah yeah it's like going into the forest and befriending a dragon moving on moving on moving on uh tech noir ah. so uh this was a kickstarter back in 2011 uh which uh overreached on stretch goals and uh, kind of like flaked out on many of the deliveries of many of the sort of expansions and source books and adventures and stuff. Yeah, they, Which, got, they got about two thirds of it shipped, but... Yeah, I mean, that happens a quite a lot with Kickstarters and stretch goals. You've got to be so careful with those. It's so easy to get caught up in the, you know, in a successful Kickstarter and think, oh, this is really working. If I promise something else, then, 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 it'll, then it'll go up even more and then... You get caught up in that ever-increasing figure without realising you've just tied up the next 10 years of your life producing a series of books, <laughs> which people are going to be clamouring However, for. this is a good story. This is a happy story, though. Oh. It is. Well, do you want to do do tell it, Daryl, since you, I'm, I'm reading this off your article? <laughs> yeah, uh, what it is is techno, Technoir didn't quite finish fulfilling its things, but um, now Dream Machine Productions has acquired the rights to Technoir, hmm. and what they're doing is they're actually making the books that were promised as stretch goals and giving them for free to Kickstarter backers of the original Kickstarter from seven years ago. That's pretty awesome of them. No. Oh, really? Has it been that long? Wow. 2011 was the Kickstarter. Oh, goodness. So I'm sure there'll mm. be, I'm sure there'll be quite a bit of legacy stuff because many people's lives will have changed in the meantime. But no, it's really good that they're um, taking on the property and uh, honouring the original promises. Yeah, I mean, I wonder what that's going to cost them just to do that because you know, I assume they themselves haven't haven't received any of the sort of funding capital from the Kickstarter. Seems very unlikely. Most likely not. Mm. So, so, so that's coming out of their own pocket as well. Yeah, and they're also taking up the line and they're going to start expanding, writing new material for it as well, mm. starting, in 20, starting in January 2019. Yeah. And it's actually a pretty decent setting, too. Oh, there we go. Uh, Fantasy Flight Games, Legend of the Five Rings. More material coming out for Legend of the Five Rings. They've announced another source book and adventure. Uh, this is Enter the Shadowlands, and it covers the lands south of Rokugan and contains details and adventure seeds for the entire corrupted lands from the festering pit of Fu Leng to the Daylight Castle. Okay, that, that would be in Legend of the Five Rings, all the most dangerous places. Uh, the idea being that you have sort of this semi-Chinese slash Japanese orientalist empire, and then you have a very large wall which mm -hmm. is guarded to keep yes. the bad dudes on one side and um, all the things that you quite like on the other. 
so everything on the wrong side of the wall is the Badlands. So this is all a source pack for bit, developing those. It's so a bit like Hadrian's space. Wall, really. Except Hadrian's Wall doesn't seem to work. Damn it. I saw, I saw a Scottish person yeah, the other it's day. It's very inspired by that or the Great Wall of China. Yeah, and I, those, and I personally have gone with the Great Wall of China as the most obvious one, but that is <laughs> perfectly within his rights, I suppose, to say mean things about Scottish people who have done <laughs> nothing to him except like, done, him money. They have done many, many, many things to me. Uh, only because you asked them nicely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah this uh this source book it's uh, 144 pages and again th- if you pre-order it from their website you get art prints mm, like a4 yeah. sized uh no, sorry not a4 five by seven art print cards mm. and and it, it's fantasy flight so the art is gorgeous yeah if there's art. one thing fantasy flight does well it's production values but yeah it covers uh the shadowlands and the wall and uh crab clan territory which they maintain the wall mm, yes mm. Uh, so there's also an adventure as well uh mask of the oni Ooh. Uh, which puts players on the trail of a blood speaker as they uncover the centuries old secret buried in the fallen castle of the hiruma family and it's a little bit more than just an adventure because it's like adventure booklet map um tokens. and a bunch of tokens yeah. 50 to- 50 little cardboard tokens awesome um so this is uh these are available for pre-order and they are both slated for a release in the first quarter of 2019 fantastic we should look forward to seeing them more see more of them <sighs> those thefts at essen spiel we've talked about two or three times now Yes, yeah, yeah, like a shocking turn of events. Uh, people oh. went and robbed all the traders and stole their takings. Yeah. Which I can imagine could well have put several games companies uh, quite close to the edge of going over, or going under, rather. Oh, I would have like thought so, yeah. Numbers, yeah. Um, so, so um, the company that runs Essenspiel, um, they're planning some meetings. That's decisive. They're planning some meetings. <laughs> I, 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 I was hoping Russ would try to pronounce that German name. Do you want me to? What, what German Please. Ones? Okay, here we go. Our our second favourite game in all the world. Where Russ attempts to pronounce the name. (laughs) So, uh, Friedhelm Mers Verlag. That's actually shockingly close. Thank you very much. (laughs) Sure sounds a bit more surprised. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But you are right, Darren. I did kind of conveniently skip over the name (laughs) semi-deliberately Because I know that pronouncing names is not my forte. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, so they've planned some meetings where they will decide what and if we will change anything at all. But we will certainly remind the exhibitors to take better care of their cash registers. Ouch. Yeah. Sure. That's a bit... Uh, nice. Yeah. Well, that, 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 that's, that's kind of the second stuff. quote coming from the them, The second too. quote, yeah, is even worse. The second quote, we also appeal to the exhibitors in the future not to hire cheap stand staff that way, that they are partly paid with exhibitor tickets. So basically, it's all the exhibitors' fault. That's what they're saying. So I I think there's a name for this, and there's like some for us. Victim blaming. Yes. That's what I'm looking <laughs> yes. for. Victim blaming. Oh, yeah. Yes. Well, you should have looked after your stuff. We, we, we just have, like, the building. Yeah. Like, looking after your stuff, that's on you. Like, security, why would we provide that? Okay. That's interesting. Well, um, yeah. I, I didn't write it in the article, but in the actual report, uh, they talked about what security measures they do have at Essence Spiel. Mm-hmm. And it's apparently they have about 50 planes clothed security that are hiding in the crowd. 
but no actual marked security. No one's in uniform. No one's in like in a staff T-shirt or anything like that. Mm. So no, just just security terrorist. T-shirt. Yeah. No way to report problems to people quickly. I mean, sure. Exactly. Well, I'd be quite interested in what their anti-harassment policy is because how are you supposed to report problems of, I don't know, somebody being awful if there's no one to talk to? Are you supposed mm-hmm. to take matters into your hands? I don't know. I mean, I've never been well, to it myself, so I'm not really sure what the setup's like, but... Yeah. Uh, I do believe they have sta- they ha- they do have staff because they have people checking for badges at the entrances, but they don't have any marked security like patrolling the floor or standing anywhere. I mean, it's, it's a big, like big, big convention that one as well. Yes. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, people still like try and do stuff, but I think there is mm. something to be said for like occasionally just having people wandering around, even if they're just being nice to people and having a look at stalls, because like yeah, if you've got plain clothes as well, then it's like. I don't know. It it just seems well. I don't know. Not not. I've my, got, I've my, got my, a better. I've business. got a better idea, Peter. Rather than asking, this is. I'm gonna. We definitely got to suggest this to the uh, to the really considerate uh, management of Essenspiel. Instead of um, having uh, the plainclothes people wear security uniforms, why don't they insist that all the thieves wear burglars' uniforms with like stripy tops and sacks saying swag? Oh, but Rusty, the thing you have to remember is, is like this in, gets people in from all over the world. So, how will the French people be able to be distinguished from the burglars? Wow, the berets! <laughs> <laughs> wow, they got a beret and a cigarette sticking out of the corner of their mouth. They're French. If they don't have the beret, they're a robber. I can, a- I can, I can see the emails from French listeners coming in already. Um, archaeologists have found a four thousand year old board game in Azerbaijan. It's, uh, it's called 58 Holes, or Hounds and Jackals. And uh, although it's been found in various places... Oh, I thought it would be a game of talisman. Well, like 4,000 years is about the length of time it takes to play a game, so... That's <laughs> I suppose, yeah. yeah. Ooh, cutting satire there. <laughs> Waiting. <laughs> what can I, what can I say? I, I, I have favourites amongst board games. <laughs> I have games that are not favourites. <laughs> this has uh, been found across the Middle East in various archaeological digs. But this is uh, this is kind of one of the oldest examples that have been found. Four thousand years old is a pretty pretty old thing. Yeah, it's one of the earliest uh, tabletop or board games that we've ever seen. Mm. Is this one? And they found it a couple of different places. They found it in the pyramids. Yeah. So apparently, it was pretty popular throughout the whole Mesopotamian region. There's that Roman D20 that keeps showing up. Someone discovers it and posts it in the news or on Facebook or somewhere, like once every sort of three or four months. Yeah. Like it's a brand yeah. new thing that no one's seen before. And it's been coming up for about the last 10 years. Every three or four months. We go, oh my God, check this out. The Roman had D20s. I always- I, I always wonder if it's the same one over and over again, like ah. that uh, mimetic cycle, or if it's a di- they keep finding different yeah, ones. Yeah, no, I think there's quite a few of them, yeah. I think some of them are repeated, and some of them are... But that's not 4,000 years, though. That's not as old as this thing. Yeah, that, uh, that's, that's, that one that's, that's, is, I want to say, 200 BC. Yeah, wow. so it's, ha- it's, ha- it's half the age of that. Uh, okay, I think that's probably it for the news. Is, is there anything obvious I've missed that I, if you can think of? Uh, nothing in strange mind right now. No? Uh, Hasbro's starting a water park. Oh, go on then. If you want to, oh. if you want to. <laughs> this one's this is the second announcement Hasbro has made mm. about uh, getting into sort of this entertainment complex, like physical buildings. Mm. Uh, first, they had a deal with um, I can't remember the name of the company, but uh, they do like kind of Dave and Buster's type things. Americans will know what that is, uh, but it's like arcade and bar and yes. restaurant all built into one and this is all going to be themed on hasbro stuff this one however is a water park that's going to be opening in 
2022, and it's going to have a Magic the Gathering-themed water slide. A Magic the Gathering-themed water slide. How does that work? So, what, there's, like, pictures of cars on the inside of the tube, or... I assume it's going to be based on uh, the actual the stories that they have in there, but uh, okay. the joke in the article I've got is that it's a blue mana waterfall. Oh, well, that sounds but, interesting. But I guess we'll see in about uh, four years when it actually opens. Yes, indeed. Who but knows? It's, also, it's a long time. Who knows what might yeah. happen? All right. You know what time it is, don't you? Uh, what time is it? You do know. It's time for our favourite game in all the world where I tell you the name of a Kickstarter and you try and guess what it is from nothing but the name. Oh, so not Twilight Imperium 4th Edition then? No. Okay, well I suppose you can play this one as well. Let's play this. (laughs) Yeah, two each. Sound good? Yep. Okay. Right then. Numero uno. Let us begin with... It is The Vagabond's Cyclopedia. Oh, the Vagapons Encyclopedia. Cyclopedia. Cyclopedia. Oh, okay. Uh, well, this sounds like... Obviously, it's a fantasy supplement, I'm going to say. And I think it... Oh, is it? It might be a Monday one. Yeah. It's got it's got options, certainly. Uh, it will be a list of all sorts of exciting um, things and encounters that one could have, like... Uh, the sort of information that one would like to have if one is out on the road. But I suppose if I was going to go for it, then it would be uh, probably some sort of supplement for 5th Ed D&D, and it will have a sort of guide to tricks, traps, and random encounters on the road uh, and for people that are travelling places. Hmm. So it is for Vagabonds of Defed. Oh, okay. Not D&D for tradition. So... And it's an enormous character supplement overflowing right. with hundreds of new character rules, tables, guidelines, and suggestions on how to play as a vagabond. So so it's not... Va- Wait, it's Vagabonds of Defed. They're doing it for 5th edition? No, it's for Vagabonds okay. of Defed. It's a supplement for Vagabonds of Defed. The- oh, okay, supplement for Vagabonds of Defed. Oh, okay, yeah, okay, fair enough. Oh, okay, that's quite interesting. Uh, I've actually run that game, so interesting stuff. And so what is it? Supplement for it... How I described, rather than being for fifth ed, in the way that I just read out just now, which you clearly just ignored, in exactly yeah. that way. I, I was I was completely completely not paying attention, Russ, uh, largely because my brain was switching gears because it was not for fifth ed D and D. I see, but it happens. <laughs> so, would you like me to read it out again to you, Peter? Yes, please. That'd be lovely. All right then. It is an enormous character supplement, overflowing with hundreds of new character rules tables, guidelines, and suggestions on how to play as a vagabond. Hmm. Interesting. So it's just like, I mean, it's basically a, a player's option book for vagabonds of Diffed. Yeah, seems. yeah, no, I, I understand. It's just like the whole idea behind uh, vagabonds of Diffed is it's supposed to be like how it was sold originally with a Kickstarter about a year, year and a half ago, is that it's powered by the apocalypse meets old school renaissance. Mm-hmm. So with the old school renaissance slash revival, there's very much a bias towards rulings rather than rules. So I'm not entirely sure, especially with a system as simple as um, essentially the bare bones apocalypse roll 2d6 add mods. Why or how it would work? But I'll have to look at the Kickstarter to know fully. Thank mm-hmm. you for drawing it to my attention. Okay then. 
Uh, moving swiftly on, Daryl. Yes. Are you ready for your first ever round of our favourite game in all the world? Daryl does at least I... know how this is played, which Darryl, is nice. I, yes, we don't have I, to explain I, it to him. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think I've got the handle of it. Let's let's go ahead and <laughs> give it a shot. Okay. Woo-hoo. All right. This is just uh, one word. This one, because it's one of those ones where the uh, the, the bit after the colon tells you what the first word meant. So you just get the first word, I'm afraid. Are you ready? Oh, boy. It is. I'm ready. Vindion. Vindion. V-I-N-D-E-O-N. So this is like in Red Dwarf, that episode DNA, where they manufacture a chicken vindaloo monster. (laughs) This is a supplement for Starfinder to add that race to Starfinder, the Vindaluvians. Uh, A genetically engineered life form, a gilf. Hmm. Well, I loved Red Dwarf growing up. So now I want a curry again. I had curry <laughs> last night. I had leftover <laughs> curry for lunch today, and now I want another one. Blimey. Yeah, uh, yeah. I honestly, I got absolutely nothing on Vindion other than more joke answers. But yeah, yeah. I, unfortunately, I like, I like yours. It sounds plausible. Yeah, unfortunately, you uh, have if scored. I, if I had to take a yeah, if I had to take a wild guess, it would probably be some sort of high fantasy uh, city setting for fifth edition or Pathfinder. I like so, sci-fi for it myself, but, yeah. Possibly. So, uh, what Vindion is, and you've definitely scored about uh, minus 1,000 points there, Daryl, I am afraid. Woo. Yep. Uh, is, it's a, a fantasy RPG. Uh. Oh. Yeah. It's not actually that useful, this uh, description here. Um, what comes after the colon? <laughs> the completed book will contain 275 pages in the standard 21 centimetres by 29.7 centimetres format. Its illustrations and text, apart from the first picture, will be printed in black and white colours, and its cover will be printed in full colour. Do you now understand exactly what it is? So they're going to choose a role-playing game book, is what I'm taking away from this. (laughs) Not only that, the PDF versions of Vindian and the accompanying adventure will have sepia-coloured illustrations and inlet borders, and their book covers will be in full colour. They're kind of burying the lead on this one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's... Well, at least we know I, I, what. At least we know the format. They want money for this. Now <laughs> <laughs> I've already been scored. I've actually. I'm looking it up now, and it 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 looks like it is a sort of uh, low fantasy. I, basically, I got everything I could possibly get wrong. It looks more uh, low heroic fantasy, uh, very Tolkien esque inspired uh, maps here. Uh, so, I think the true yeah. true test of one of these games is: Would I rather be playing the description? I think I'd rather what? be playing one about genetically engineered life forms in Retorts. What, what I will say that that description is not the Kickstarter creators' folks. I've just looked at the Kickstarter itself, oh, okay. rather than the column, and there okay. is yeah. an introductory bit of text there. Oh, thank goodness! Um, you are an adventurer <laughs> born in the fourth age, an age marked by uncertainty and strife. Whereas the article literally just launches straight into what colour the book is. So. <laughs> but but you know what? It's like, I, I'm not trying to be past or stuff, but with fantasy, you really need to have like a definite idea of, like everyone sort of knows what a fantasy is yeah. right now. And what they just said was, I am a fantasy book. Mm. So I can see why talking about the production values would be an attractive I guess so. I guess so. I guess so. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, well, that, that's what that is. Uh, the world is not healed. The elves, dwarves, and humans have just begun to recover and rebuild after the devastation wrought by conflict and change. There you go. Yeah, the Kickstarter looks very Tolkien-esque. Yes, it does, doesn't it? It does look very Tolkien. Anyway, moving on. The next one is... 
I'll read the title of this one, but I don't think there's much point doing it as a, a round in the game. It's Wave One of Adventure Books for ASA. That's a good title. <laughs> That's a solid title. I, I hear that title, I know exactly what I'm getting. <laughs> okay, all right. All right, Peter, are you ready? Yeah, yeah, hit me, hit me. What is The Adventurer's Prayer? Well, well The Adventurer's Prayer... prayer the Adventurer's Prayer, that sounds to me like it would be almost like an in-character document detailing some sort of common theme or prayer said by Adventurers, because that's what the name suggests. But that would be a very odd Kickstarter, so I suppose then thinking about how one would make this, then like it would be a series of in-character... like. What, what I would hope it would be, right, from this title, is it would be a set of, like, cues or, like, tables or something to help you generate at random in an in-character religion and have all the various things. So, like, you know, if you're all a D1000 and you get, like, 001, it's, it's animism, and then you roll, or roll further on these further tables and you actually end up having a totem spirit as you roll at the other end you're basically like an atheist or you're like a pantheist but you believe in like the zoroastrian style yeah that 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 that, that would be the sort of thing i'd want from the adventurer's prayer i uh guide to generating your own in-character religions hmm. well you lost 10 points for every word in that and that went on for quite a long time so i estimate Marvelous. you're somewhere around minus a million points now <laughs> Because every Maths word has always been your strong point, hasn't it? <laughs> every, word, every word dug you further and further into the hole of wrongness. But I think the Vindaluvian monster was closer. He <laughs> <laughs> was in deep space. <laughs> so, have you heard of the Serenity Prayer? Um, God grant this... me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the, the things. To change the things I can. Yeah, that and the wisdom to know the difference. That's the one. Yeah, right. You've heard of that, haven't you, Pete? You're looking at me puzzled. I am because You've never I heard don't of that. see the connection. I have heard it. Oh, okay. You have heard it. Well, like what if, really it, what well if there was uh, an adventurer's version which said, the uh, dungeon master grant me the dexterity to flee the things I cannot slay, the carrying capacity to loot the things I can, and the courage to roll for initiative. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, this is a full-colour poster uh-huh. with that on it. Um, with a nice picture of a mountain and a dragon in the background. Well, the last ones, they're all... I I think they're really easy because they're very... does what it says in the tin titles. I'm trying to find one that's slightly slightly harder. Yeah, but whichever one... Why would you do that to Daryl? What does he ever do to you? (laughs) Look, just just because you do these every week, it doesn't mean that they're actually easy for us. (laughs) Well, okay. I'm going to go with this one. Uh, I I think you'll probably probably get it, Daryl. But... What, or, or get something close to it. What is the Lost Hall of Tyre? T-Y-R. Hmm. That sounds like good old-fashioned dungeon-crawly adventure. Most likely, I'm going to say multi-edition, going for Pathfinder and OSR. Hmm. Possibly a 5e as well. Uh, so it's for a game called the Dragon Heresy role-playing game. I'm not personally familiar with it. Hmm. Uh it's a, it's a it's an adventure, 112 pages long, full colour, with a detailed workup of a Viking town of, oh, it's our second favourite game in all the world, 
where Russ gets to try and pronounce something. <laughs> the Viking town of yes. Isfjall. I-S-F-J-A-L-L. Isfjall. Okay, yeah, cool, cool. Isfjall. Isfjall. Yeah. I, I, I was thinking it must be something like that because uh, Tyr was the Viking god of war. Yeah. Mm. So, uh, but Lost Hall, Lost Hall immediately put into my head, this is the Lost Hall. It's a ruin that you're exploring. Mm. Well, it's kind of more of a mini setting because it's, like, it's usable as a sort of home port or jumping off port for adventure for an extended campaign, sort of like a home base kind of area. Um, it's also got rules for overland journeys in the wild north mm-hmm. and uh, several adventuring locations and a quest to discover the Lost Hall itself. This is for the Dragon Heresy game. For the Dragon Heresy game, yeah. I mean, I've about... not heard of it myself, but I'm glad that they're against I think, think Daryl gets about five points out of ten for that. Oh, good hmm. work. Romping to victory. Well done, Daryl. Yes, I think Daryl has Ooh. won. Our favourite game in all the world turned it this week. from Vindaluvian Monster. <laughs> <laughs> right, I think that's it for the game. Uh, hello, uh, uh, thank you for calling the uh, Adventurers Support Line. Uh, how, how, how can I help you? So there's only the two of us left, and the only loot was this funny-looking deck of cards. What's going on? A deck of cards? Well, that seems odd. What level are you? I'm Ave. What level are you? Ninth. Wow, that seems high for just a token. That must be a magical item of some sort. Let me. Sorry, this is my first day. I'm, I'm trying to figure out what it might be. Um, can you tell me anything about the cards while I'm getting this pulled up? Well, there's. Uh, how many cards? 22. It's not any game I've seen. Give me that. Are you even proficient in gaming cards? Well, my background says I get to pick two games, and I never did, so yes, yes, I am. Hang on, slow down. This might be dangerous. Don't do anything with it until I can, um, get this pulled up. Well, I just rolled my proficiency in gaming cards, and these aren't for any game. Okay, okay, I'm looking it up right now. The deck's talking to me. It's asking me how many cards I want to draw. What? No way, it didn't talk to me, and I'm proficient. No, you're not. Hold on, don't do anything. It's very insistent. I'm going to stay free. No! Don't do anything. I'm going to see if I can get a supervisor. This first one says talents. Wait, what the hell? Where did my sword go? I told you, please don't. My turn, my turn. I'm going to draw a card. Please stop. Don't touch the... Wait, I've still got two more draws. No fair. I found it. Guys, this is an artifact. I've got it pulled up here now. Do not draw any cards. I've got a supervisor available in just a couple of rounds, and she can walk you through what to do. So please, just hold This on. one says throw. Oh, I've got a D to a castle now. Brilliant. My turn, my turn. Seriously, this is very dangerous. Please hold for the supervisor. This one says knight. Ah, what? Who the hell are you? I am your sworn knight, sir. Please stop drawing cards. You don't know what- No way, this deck's amazing. I want my cool stuff. I, I said I'd draw cards. Where is my sword? For the love of gods! Please put the deck down and wait for the supervisor. I haven't even been trained for high-level artifacts yet. Oh, sweet. This card says Jester. Huh, I can feel like I can get better at my job by 10,000 points, or I can draw two more times. Ah, oh, good. You said one card, and that's it. Just take the XP and don't draw any more from the... No way! He got a knight in a castle. I got almost that much XP from the last encounter. Do you have my sword? No, but my sword is yours to command, my liege. This thing isn't even enchanted. What level are you? 
Would you guys please just... Four. Oh, what a waste. I'm drawing two more cards. No! Idiot? What do idiot mean? I don't know what that word means. You... You were the fighter and dumped int in the first place, didn't you? What's an int? Ain't, ain't they talking trees? For copyright reasons, no. But please do not touch the... I'm gonna take this card. Oh, this. I don't care what the benefits are. It's not worth this. This one done said void. What does that mean? I think it's time to do our topic of the week. What is our topic of the week? It is nearly the end of the year. It is. So, with that in mind, I think we should look back over the year and look at what the top news items of the year were. Well, we've been recording for like something like 28 weeks now, and it's certainly been an interesting, hmm. interesting... I've learned a lot about role-playing games. Yeah, so, yeah, so we've been recording for six months, roughly, now. Of course, the yeah. year famously uh, has 12 months in it. Interesting. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> uh, so, uh, obviously, we've got six months of news prior to our launching our podcast as well. Fortunately, EN World has been around for 20 years, so we uh, we have all that news. Oh, phew, that's really Lucky, isn't it? Um, so, what yeah. I have done is I have taken the top news items, uh, and by top, I mean the ones that got the most views. Uh-huh. In some cases, I've combined news items where, for example, I don't know, Waterdeep, Dungeon of the Mad Mage, had like seven yeah. different news items and stuff like that. In, uh-huh. in, into one news item, yeah. just just for the just for the sake of this chart, and worked out what yep. the top news items have been of the entire year. Uh-huh. Then I ran into a slight problem. Oh, Everything was D and D. They were all D and D. Yes. <laughs> uh, so what I then did, I thought I've got an even better idea. I'm going to make two lists. So we have two lists of the top news items of the year. The one is the top D and D news items. And the other is the top non-D&D RPG news items. So general RPG news items. Okay, yeah. That way we get to cover both. Yeah, so over over the year, we obviously we published hundreds and hundreds of news items. So this is really a scratch on the surface of all of the RPG news that's gone on throughout the year. So there's bound to be tons and tons of stuff that isn't going to get into this list, some of which is quite major, but this literally is the top 10 out of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these items. Yes, absolutely. Let's do the RPG ones first and then the D&D ones after. How about that? Oh, all right. Okay. So the top RPG news items of Mm -hmm. 2018 in 15th place, the 15th most viewed RPG news item was RPG eSports. Formerly D&D eSports became RPG eSports. This was announced late this year. It was an online esports tournament which involved various, uh, mainly video game, game streamers, I believe, rather than actual role players. But there were a couple of couple of role players in there, uh, which took place live streamed on Twitch. Uh, and there was a, a, I think it was a five thousand dollar cash prize for the winner. Yep. So this took place. Uh, this took place up in back in was it October that took place. Uh, November. November. Yeah, it was November, a- and then the first couple of weeks of December. Yeah. Yep. So that was number fifteen. Number fourteen. Somewhat surprisingly, I didn't think it would be that big a news item, but the RPG Now brand being retired. Mm-hmm. So obviously, uh, open uh, was it? Open Bookshelf is the company that owns yes. uh, Drive Through RPG, RPG Now, 
um, drive through comics, drive through fiction, DMs Guild, a whole bunch of those yeah, community like content game. creator stuff. They've got a yeah. war game brand. Yeah, tons, tons and tons of sites. But essentially, they're all one site. They they only yeah. they only actually have the one website. And depending on what URL, what web address you use to visit it, you get a different skin. So if you go through it via the RPG Now address, you get a different look than if you went to it via the Drive Through RPG address. Uh, the RPG skin, RPG Now skin, kind of concentrated more on indie titles, whereas the Drive Through RPG was more in the big sort of hardcover, you know, big releases and stuff. Uh, but uh, OBS has decided to retire the RPG Now side of it because under one tenth of people used that particular portal to the site. Um, they said that that had been coming for years and it was just about time to do it. Put it off to past. Yeah, I think they said, I think they said over five years it was drive through was growing and RPG now was shrinking. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And given that the same site is, I mean, I guess it's literally just a yeah. DNS entry, but even so, I suppose for branding purposes, consolidation is a good thing, I guess. Yep. Uh, so that was number 14. Number 15. 13. Number 13. <laughs> this is how numbers work for us. Pick a direction and stick to it. You can do it, I believe. Yes. I believe in you. Pretty much every major gaming, tabletop gaming convention in the world reported record attendance. Woohoo! Basically, gaming, tabletop gaming on a whole is clearly on the rise. And along with that, every single convention, um, we're looking specifically here at UK Games Expo, Origins, and yep. Gen Con all of which um, reported record attendance this year. We don't have exact figures for all of them. Eschen Spiel uh, hides its unique attendees figure, as does PAX Unplugged. But we have a, we've got a basic idea of uh, the largest one is Gen Con, followed by Eschen Spiel, followed by UK Games Expo, Stroke Origins, which leapfrog each other each time one of them has a new convention, and then PAX Unplugged. We don't really know the figures for that, but it looks like it's probably about half the size of Origins at the moment. But all of them yeah. are all of them are getting busier and busier and busier every single year, year on year. Which is good news. Escapism's never been so popular. It is good news for us as gamers. Absolutely. Yep. More people, more fun. Yeah. Well established fact. Number twelve What's next? Number twelve, Gail Gygax. Gary Gygax's uh widow uh yep. is being sued. Uh, so originally there was a deal between Gail Gygax and uh, the sort of Gygax Trust to uh, license out the remaining IP of um, Gary Gygax. Not Dungeons and Dragons, obviously, because Wizards of the Coast owns that lock, stock, and two smoking barrels. But, it's like a but everything else. Legendary adventures and all that stuff, uh, a bunch yeah. of the characters and NPCs. And a whole lot of unpublished stuff as well. Um, was going to be licensed out in order to be used for video game properties. Uh, also, there was a Hollywood movie uh, producer. Uh, so the Gygax Estate partnered with uh, Tom DeSanto, who uh, produced X-Men, Transformers, and stuff like that. And he's the person suing her, claiming that they formed a partnership to exploit like the Gygax brand. But then she, uh, it was an exclusive partnership that they formed. And then he uh, alleges that she uh, then went away and tried to negotiate a separate video game deal without him, for which he is oh. suing her for $30 million. That's a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. Number 11, the Expanse RPG Kickstarter, uh, one of the most successful Kickstarters of 2018. It certainly funded very, very quickly indeed. It gives you the opportunity to go and 
run around in James A.S.A. Corey's award-winning series of science fiction novels. Uh, they're using the adventure game engine, which is found in a whole bunch of fantasy games like Blue Rose and uh, Modern Age, and they're taking it together to create like the universe of the Expanse. There's Belters, Martians, and you're just trying to deal with spaceships, solar colonies, adventure and intrigue. Mm-hmm. And yeah, uh, definitely very exciting. I'm looking forward to actually um, seeing that um, come through. Yeah, I batched that one, so I can't wait to get my hands on that. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's going to be good, man. It's going to be good. I think also, did that make it into the uh, top 10 most anticipated RPGs of 2019? It did. It did, yeah. It did. Yeah. Definitely looking forward to that. Okay, next one. At number 10, we have Steve Jackson's The Fantasy Trip, which uh, this was Steve Jackson Games, one of their very first products they released way, way back in... 1977 i believe Ooh, way back yeah it it was the very first product from steve jackson games it's a fantasy role-playing game and steve jackson uh licensed it out at one point in time and has finally gotten the rights back ran a kickstarter that's been successful and the book is now out i believe mm. and so, uh, the specific good. story was an interview with steve jackson over the um the fantasy trip and its history as well as the revival mm. Well, certainly a big bone to all the um, OG gamers who were playing back in the 70s and 80s who really loved it, and it hasn't seen a lot of love since, as I understand. Not a lot of support for it. Right. Should we move on to the actual top 10 now? Yes. Start coming in at number 10. Coming in at number 10. Well, number... Ooh. I've just looked at my list. There's two number 10s. Well, we don't know what you're talking about that for around here. Right. So number 9.5 was Evil Hat Productions. Uh, announce mm-hmm. a large scaling back of their product offering for the near future. Um, they did a bit of a uh, financial review and examined the different sales of all their different product lines, and they've ended up having to postpone or cancel several products and lay off staff, which included uh, Carrie Harris, who is the head of marketing, uh, Chris Hanrahan, who is the head of business development, and Brian Patterson, the art director, all of which are parting ways with the company. Uh, basically, um, they've put a put a hold on most of their non-role-playing products for now. Uh, so, some of the sort of role-playing products still going ahead next year. But it's interesting that that's a different story to the whole everything's expanding thing that you get from the, from the reports on the conventions. Yeah. yeah uh, well, one well, of the that- speculations that's been going around with, because there's been a couple of companies that have announced scalebacks. Yeah, another one of those and, is coming up as well in uh, number seven. Yep. One of, the ex- uh, one of the explanations that's been floating around with a lot of these is some of these companies have been trying to expand into other areas besides role-playing games. Mm-hmm. And because uh, Evil Hat was producing, I believe, two or three different, uh, they do the Dresden Files cooperative card game, and they're mm-hmm. trying to expand that into other card games as well. Yeah. The board games, and I think that might be where some of these companies are running into problems is they're trying to move into an industry that they may not have as much experience with. Sure. I mean, I can see the temptation because if you look at RPG Kickstarters, then you look at board game Kickstarters. The the latter, you know, they're like an order of magnitude bigger than the RPGs in and general. And you can see the temptation to want to release a board game or a card game or something like that because there's so much more potential there to, to really sort of blow the Kickstarter doors off. But yep, and those overall sales numbers too, out, even outside of Kickstarter, yeah. it's almost an order of magnitude more. Yeah, so I, I can see why, but yeah, yeah, yes, coming in at number nine, what has to be the what are we saying? The sixth edition of Savage Worlds to come out since two thousand four, two thousand three, one, two, three, four, five, six. Yep, we have Savage Worlds Adventure Edition, the game that everyone loves so much that they keep on coming back to it. 
yeah, it's a hotly anticipated Kickstarter. It came through, a lot of backing went in. They have some absolutely gorgeous uh, full cover books with like collector's editions and so forth. So yeah, and they've also have a world builder's guide inside it. They did the Kickstarter in October, and um, so we're looking forward to seeing some of this again. One of the hotly anticipated Kickstarters of 2019. Yes, indeed. Wasn't it number one last week on the most anticipated games too? It did indeed get number one on most anticipated games, just edging out, uh, I think, Pathfinder 2. Pathfinder 2nd. All right. Yes. Um, uh, We good news for dice manufacturers everywhere, because they one thing for (laughs) the Savage Worlds, you need to have lots of dice. Daryl, can you tell us what number eight is? Number eight is The Witcher. Uh, The Witcher is the role-playing game from Artosaurian Games based on the popular dark fantasy world that's uh, set up, uh, main protagonist is it was designed by uh, mother and son design team Lisa and Cody Pondsmith, mm-hmm. and uh, it came out this year to uh, very good results. Um, and it looks like it is based on the novels as well as the video games because it's licensed through CD Projekt Red, who created the video game, and they're also the ones creating the Cyberpunk 2077 video game as well, mm. which is our Talsarian, which... As far as I'm aware, the two licenses happened independently of each other. Mm. I've got to admit, I am super unfamiliar with The Witcher. I know absolutely nothing about it. Although I do know that Superman is now playing him in a movie or TV show. A TV show, I think. The Netflix television yeah. series. That's based. It's based directly on the novels, which the video games happened. Uh, they're kind of an epilogue to the novel series. Yeah. Oh, okay. And Henry Cavill's in that, yeah? Mm. Yes. Nice. He's playing Geralt. Sweet as. Okay. Uh, Definitely. Definitely keep an eye out for that, then. Number seven, Robotech RPG. Um, so this is like two stories, really. Yep. So uh, yeah. initially, towards the beginning of the year, uh, Palladium announced the collapse of their Robotech RPG tactics Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robotech is uh, it's like a sci-fi thing, uh, obviously from the name, uh, with like alien invaders and uh, mecha and stuff. Um, it's a giant mecha based on, uh, it's a re-editing of the anime series Macross. That was done by Harmony Gold back in 1985. A, a, a thing of which I know nothing. Uh, <laughs> like, an, anime is really just not my thing. I know most of it because of the interaction between the Robotech license and Battletech. Mm. What happened was essentially Palladium ran out of money. Uh, they had various waves of rewards for their Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. And uh, apparently they spent all the money on the Wave 1 rewards. And uh, the Wave 2 rewards... Uh, which have a worth of something in the region of half a million dollars, they weren't able to fulfil. So, mm-hmm. yeah, reactions pretty much as expected. Angry backers, people demanding refunds, people talking about lawsuits, all sorts of stuff, people venting online, that sort of thing. The usual sort of thing yeah. that happens when a Kickstarter collapses. Uh, but then there was a twist to this. Uh, later in July, uh, Strange Machine Games um, announced a brand new Robotech role-playing game. Totally separately, yes, but also based on the same uh, Macross saga source material that you just mentioned there, um, Adele. But they also have something for the backers of that failed Palladium Robotech RPG Tactics Kickstarter. Yeah, at the time they were allowing you to, uh, I believe it was, get a, a discount on the upcoming board games and RPG products well, that they were releasing actually, if you ordered through them. Uh, wave 2 backers of the failed Palladium Kickstarter would get a complete mm-hmm. box of Robotech Ace Pilot board game free of charge if you bought oh, the new right. RPG. That's right. Yeah, that was their, um, I believe it's a deck building card game. Yeah, I don't know what it is exactly. But yeah. Going back to number eight once more, <laughs> Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay 4th Edition. 
So what we have is we've got a grim world of perilous adventure, which is a cubicle seven who have recently moved to Ireland's take on the very old classic, which was originally with Hogshead. Yeah, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. It's a career-based system. There's uh, lots of dice. Oh, I haven't actually had the chance to play it or read the rulebook properly, but I can say they're using 10-sided di dice, a tune-up version of the D100 system, and it is absolute carnage amongst the players of the game that's going on in my the game that's going on in uh, the Iron Masters Club, which I go to on a Monday. I had yeah, they're losing like two characters a week minimum each, I and um, I'm just waiting for the TPK to. So it definitely holds up its legacy as Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, then. Yeah, so yeah, so that was Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay for we at number eight. So number seven, Daryl, would you like to tell us what that is? Number seven, John Wick presents lays off its seventh C staff. Could you have made that more of a tongue twister <laughs> on that headline, dude? Seriously. I can try. <laughs> Don't uh, test him. <laughs> well, what happened? John Wick Presents was in a similar situation as uh, Evil Hat, which we talked about before. They had um, started uh, going into board games, tabletop games, and had eventually overextended. And they looked at their finances and realized that they really needed to scale back a lot of their production and a lot of their upcoming release and had to unfortunately lay off, I believe all of their staff, except for John Wick. Which is interesting because uh, the seventh C Kickstarter is the second biggest RPG tabletop RPG Kickstarter in history with over a million dollars raised. Yeah. It was the first one to top a million dollars for a yeah. tabletop role-playing game. And, and, and only one has done so since, which we'll get mm -hmm. to later. They actually had a second Kickstarter for that 7th C Katai, which was an Asian theme on the 7th C role-playing yeah, game. that did not uh, do that, so well, yeah. It got it got about $20,000 compared to the, uh, what was it, $1.3 million? Oh, yeah, $1.3 million on the original 7th C second edition. I, 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 sus so. I suspect they kind of expected to replicate the success. Maybe not quite to the same extent, because obviously that mm. was kind of a, you know... Yeah, they were probably I, I hoping for, but they were certainly hoping into three quarters yeah, of a yeah, million, yeah. and they ended up with two hundred thousand. Which that is a very, very good showing for Kickstarter. But mm. when you're hoping to use the profits from that Kickstarter to roll over into other projects, which yeah. not ever Seventh C had a lot of products coming out that were not Kickstarted first. Hmm. They weren't oh. stretch goals or anything else. They just released that, and plus they also were launching that. Um, they had a publisher's program similar to um, DMs Guild and Storytellers Vault for Seventh C mm. as well. Yeah. So I think they were hoping to roll all those profits together into something along with they had the War of the Cross board game Kickstarter that all that they ended up canceling. Mm. So I, I think cool. just all of those started piling together and they weren't getting the same growth that they were expecting. And so had to seriously yeah. scale back. And now they're looking at uh, licensing deals to mm. continue the 7th C brand. Okay. Oh. Should we move on to number six? As I say, in a mildly dramatic way. Number six. So um, this is various things kind of rolled into one, actually. So I, uh, I've kind of tried to combine all the different things, bits of information we get about stats, about the RPG industry into, into one topic here. Yep. Uh, so we get virtual tabletops tend to give us stats, like Fantasy Grounds and Roll20. And then we get information from Wizard of the Coast telling us that D&D is growing you know, 30% year on year on year for, I think, like four years in a row, has 15 million yes. tabletop games, all that sort of stuff. So it's basically, this topic is uh, more just sort of like the, the, the general news about the growth of the overall gaming industry and how D&D &D is still dominating it, like massively so. Um, look, I'm looking right now at the Fantasy Grounds um, stats, but this is reflected everywhere, so this is fairly typical. Yes. 
Um, so D&D's got like 65% of the market there. And uh, the, the follower is uh, Pathfinder with 12%. So that's the difference between positions one and two. And then Savage Worlds coming in at 6%. Now, if you look at different charts and different things, like Roll20 would have slightly different stats and ICV2 would have slightly different things again. But that that is pretty much it. It's 5e, Pathfinder, and then you might get Savage Worlds or uh, Star Wars or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's like a margin of error and some shifting around between numbers. Cause, and you also see some differences in Roll20 Fantasy Grounds because of who has licenses with who. Yeah. Uh, because uh, Fantasy Grounds will have licenses with some companies that allow them to produce direct material for the game license that you can purchase through it. So that'll encourage people to play those games on those platforms over the other ones. But still, you look at these numbers and compare them, it's like margin of error difference between, like you might see this one has a little bit more here and this one has a little bit less there, but it is still, this is D&D's market, pretty much. Without a doubt, without a doubt. I mean, I think Pazor are making a very, very solid showing there in the face of that, because because what I don't think has happened, I don't think 5e has drastically cannibalized Pezo stuff. I think 5e has brought new players into the hobby. And that's where yes. its explosive growth is coming from, especially with help and critical role and all that sort of stuff going on. So, well, it probably has taken some traffic away from Pathfinder. It's bound to have done. I don't think it's like a killer blow or anything. I don't think it's, I don't think it's massive. Well, there's still clearly a lot of people very interested in Pathfinder. Oh, absolutely, and the yeah. Unique experience it offers. Oh, they're got, different. They're different experiences. Yeah, it's got twelve percent mm-hmm. of the RPG market. It's massive. I mean, yeah. we say we say only twelve percent because we're looking at five years sixty-five. But twelve percent of the RPG market is an industry-dominating amount. It's massive. It's a lot. That's twice the amount of Savage Worlds, which is the next biggest competitor. Yeah, and that's exactly. just on the Fantasy Grounds thing. And like Savage Worlds yes. doesn't even show up on the ICV two charts, does it? Mm. Whereas Star Wars, I think, is number three on ICV2's charts. Yeah. Also, I've noticed, as always, the top two, like 5e and Pathfinder, they're basically both Dungeons and Dragons. Two flavors yes. of Dungeons and Dragons hold yeah. the top two. So if you added those together, D&D or a variant of D&D pretty much dominates the entire market. It's impressive. Yeah, it runs between, uh, I've actually run the numbers and added up on quarterly for i've made a big spreadsheet about this mm. and it ranges between 75 to 80 percent no matter where you look at it is some sort of D or D derivative either exactly. o- pathfinder or osr or something that is based on the d20 system ogl well it's quite like interesting that. just seeing how uh D 3.5 and 4e are still on those charts all right and- should we go on to the next one at number five, the only major international incident that I recall being produced by a role-playing game company, it's a White Wolf Publishing. And the various changes, uh, probably the biggest issue is where they came horrendously, horrifically off the rails in terms of taste, common decency, and just generally writing books like decent people. Uh, we've got <laughs> the whole issue of yeah, the, the sections on Technia, in addition to a variety of things, meant that White Wolf, currently owned by Paradox Interactive, was uh, essentially folded up into mm. uh, Paradox Interactive things, and they're going to yeah. do a fairly large change in, shop, in, yep. in staff. Complete change in management. Um, yep. Well, hopefully... Pulled like two a, products from released in order to re-edit them for content. Yeah, uh, yeah. Definitely, definitely a big concern. When I made this list, uh, it wasn't just that. I combined um, another couple of bits in that as well, uh, because White Wolf dominated the headlines a couple of times. Um, there was also a period when they actually had to release a statement 
where they had to deny that they supported Nazis. Which I think if you've gotten to the point where you're having to actually release statements denying or supporting Nazis, there's something, there's, you know, your PR has gone very, very, very wrong. An hour-long live stream. An yeah, hour-long live stream. Live stream. Not, not, not a written statement, not something someone bashed out and yeah, we don't support Nazis, souls. But no, they actually had to do a live stream. Shall we move on to number four, which I believe is Daryl's turn? Yep. Uh, number four was something that we extensively talked, well, we, you, both of you, Yay. extensively <laughs> talked about last week, uh, the most anticipated role-playing games of 2019. Mm. Yeah, that always ends up being a very, very popular article, mainly mm-hmm. because I think a lot of uh, RPG companies link to it in yep. order to try and get people to vote for them and all that sort of stuff. So you get a lot of people following on. And then you also you've got the people bragging when they end up high on the list. It's like, hey, mm. we're the most anticipated. We're the number two most anticipated. So number one Absolutely. was Savage Worlds. Yes, as I recall. Number, number two, two Pathfinder was, Two. Yeah, uh, I I got in at number ten with uh, Judge Dredd, which I was quite pleased about. Yes, Absolutely. Yeah. But we did talk about that in great detail last week. Right, number three. Yes, number three was the Ennies, two thousand and eighteen. Uh, so, obviously, the Ennies take place at Gen Con every year, and the winners get announced in August, uh, which is what happened this year, uh, and the Ennie winners 2018 proved to be the third most read uh, general RPG article of the year, which is gratifying. Interesting. Yeah. It's interesting that it was number three. I forget that would have been number one, because that's one of the things that Ian World is most known for is the Any Awards, as well as the news coverage. Mm. Yeah, but then when you look at what number one is, I don't think you'll be surprised why that's number three. Well, well yeah, <laughs> but... <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so that was number three, uh, the uh, Ennies 2018. Number two, Peter, I believe yes. it's your turn. Uh, and here we are, the penultimate, most popular, non-D&D RPG-related article of 2018, the Strongholds and Streaming Kickstarter. Which, to be fair, uh, is slightly D&D related, but it's not officially yeah. D&D related. It, 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 it is, I'll, I'll be honest, this is very D&D OGL. related. Yeah. Oh, super, absolutely. It's Matt Colville, who uh, many of our listeners will potentially know has a man on the internet who gives you advice over YouTube on how to run your games. Um, he has uh, introduced his Kickstarter in February 2018, which raised, what, something like, half a million dollars in the first five hours which is a lot of yep. money closed on 2.1 million yeah it is Woo. currently the record holder by about a million that is strong. i believe it's also in the top 10 of all gaming kickstarters non-video game gaming kickstarter so anything tabletop board game related it's in the top mm. 10 then, there i believe and yeah, also hasn't, annou- ha- hasn't announced that it's losing any staff yet and hopefully hopefully won't hopefully won't so uh, Strongholds the book is out now by the way Uh, at least in PDF format it came out uh, earlier this week Kickstarter backers got it and then uh, it was it's available to buy in PDF format from uh, Matt Colville's website and uh, there's already conversations going on about it generally a fairly positive response to the book Yep, uh, which, to be fair, was designed to help support um, archetypical D&D classes by providing them with uh, rules for creating your own yeah. mansion slash I, mean, I, 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 I haven't got it myself yet, but I will pick it up probably when it comes out in physical format rather than PDF. Which Absolutely. I find it interesting that the highest grossing 
Kickstarter for role-playing games is a supplement based on building your own stronghold and castle, which, if I recall correctly, was one of the worst-selling supplements that Wizards of the Coast put out for third edition, was their castles and strongholds source. Well, Well, the thing with this is the Kickstarter was called Strongholds and Streaming. And the important part was the and yes. streaming. So what the Kickstarter yes. was mainly for was Matt Colville's uh, YouTube series, and they wanted to set up a studio and do loads of really bigger, better things with that whole video format and stuff like that. And what, that's what I think a lot of his backers, you know, were, were, were in for. So I, I suspect that the book itself was a smaller fraction of, of that Kickstarter. Hmm. Uh, all the stretch goals, I think, those were related to his streaming channel. Is that right? Yes, uh, I believe so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so that was number two. So we are now on to the number one most <gasps> viewed, most popular general RPG news item of 2018. I wonder if anyone could possibly have guessed that the number one story would be Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Yes. What? No. Yeah, there's a second edition of Pathfinder. Did you not know? <laughs> really? No, it's absolutely <laughs> shocking. The second largest role-playing game announcing its first new edition in a decade yes. since release. Oof. Nice. Yeah. Uh, so they, they announced that earlier this year, and they've got a great big playtest going on at the moment. Yep, and still ongoing, even though they have stopped the regular... Uh, they're not going to be updating it regular anymore, but it's still going to be available, and the surveys are still open as well. Yeah. I'm, I'm playing it myself, but I'm only halfway through because I started to lag behind for various scheduling reasons. So I'm only halfway mm-hmm. through the playtest material. Absolutely. And it really seems but, uh, like they're they're kind of going in a different direction than 5th edition entirely uh, in how they're evolving. They're going a little bit more towards uh, these sort of crunchy rules. Well, that's pretty much where they're, gonna, they're, they're trying to put their stamp, isn't it? Yeah, they're, they're going for the crunchier side of the... Of the compared to the more narrative side. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a wise decision to differentiate themselves mm-hmm. from D&D 5th edition. Otherwise, if they're just seen as, you know, doing the same thing as D&D 5th edition, why would you choose Pathfinder over the flagship game? Yeah, exactly. They, they have to be doing something different. And I think positioning themselves as the more crunchy, slightly more advanced, sort of, you know, slightly more difficult game mm-hmm. is, is, is maybe the right strategy for them. Yeah, it's, uh, it depends on whether you prefer rules or rulings. There's definitely arguments for both sides. Absolutely. That is something I'll, that, that's, this is an area where I'm definitely okay with the both sides argument. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's a fair place to say that. I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of Pathfinder. I liked D&D 3.5 when it came out. I played, played it to death. You know, it has, its, it has its problems. Pathfinder 1st Edition and D&D 3.5 totally breaks at high levels, which I hope they're mm. fixing with 2nd Edition. But I haven't had chance yeah. to play test that, so I couldn't tell you one way or the other. Uh, I played a bit of three point bit of three point five. I played like a session of Pathfinder, mm. which I due to the GM was so dreadful. I was like, nope, I'm going to do something else now. Well, if you play, <laughs> if, if you play three point five, you pretty much play Pathfinder. It's the same. It's the yeah, same it's, engine, isn't it? It's uh, oh yeah, so yeah it's, it's the same it's, rules it's a with a lot game. of fixes. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah, Absolutely. Um, yeah. So that was the most uh, the most popular general RPG news item of the year. Pathfinder announcing Pathfinder second edition. So the reason we split off the uh, D&D news items is because they so dominated the charts that the uh, number one item in the general RPG um, thing, Pathfinder, would have come in at about number five. And then Oof. none of the rest would have fe- featured in the top ten. 
Yep. Okay. So, uh, you know, yeah. it was, D&D dominates the discussion that much. So that's why we split off the D&D news items to their own charts. Yes. Um, so as before, I've got 15 of them here, and I've checked the numbers, and they are all correct this time. <laughs> there are actually 15. Yay! Good work for us. <laughs> yes, I counted to 15 once today, at least, if not twice. So and number right. 15 was the uh, Beadle and Grimm Platinum Edition Waterdeep Dragon Heist set. Oh, that was a really, really pricey box set. Yeah, for, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so that that was announced, you know, earlier in the year and was released at roundabout Gen Con, I think. But it cost five hundred dollars for this box set, which contained mm-hmm. eight books, a whole bunch of maps, fold-out maps, a custom GM screen, some miniatures, encounter cards, handouts, um, you know, all sorts of props and stuff like that. It was a gorgeous, gorgeous set. But wow, that was. Yeah, I did that. that was price price breakdown per item. Yeah, and you are getting what you pay for, but you are paying a lot for a lot mm. of stuff. It it, it yeah. is worth every penny if you can afford it. Yeah, yeah. premium product, premium price sort of thing. Yeah. Yes, I mean for the same sort of people that are going to play that D and D in a castle, I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> they can play D and D. They can play Waterdeep Dragon Heist with their big and grim platinum edition set in a castle in the north of England. And quite frankly, how atmospheric are you? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Number 14, Peter. Uh, do you want to take us into number oh, 14? Coming in at number 14, uh, it is a complete blast from the past. We've got Goodman Games are remastering, reintroducing, bringing together, uh, keeping the borderlands, and... It's into the unknown. Into the, In search of the unknown. Yep. In search of the unknown and the Keep on the Borderlands, two absolute classics from... First edition D and D, which I'm going to have to say is from beyond my, from beyond before my time, uh, but no, they've got modules B one and B two. Modules B one and B two. Mm. Back in the days when there were sufficiently few of the things that it was actually possible, maybe even desirable to be able to label them and thus be able to refer to the exact product that you're talking about. Uh, this conversion has been done by Chris Doyle and Tim Wodzinski, and it's essentially taking these uh, classic modules. Uh, with their very old-school Gargaxian flavour and converting them through to 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons. Mm. So very useful for people who want to keep the simplicity of 5th edition D&D, but also introduce this sort of thing to people who've never had a chance to play it before. Um, Certainly looking at the comments, it was a lot of nostalgia generated. And not only that, it's not just 5th edition, you've got the original printings in there too. So it's a big, two fat different printings. Book. Yeah, it's a big fat book with various versions of the same adventure with designer commentary okay. as well. Mm. Oh, nice! Uh, yeah, I've seen a copy of it. It's enormous as well. It's, it's like mm-hmm. nearly four hundred pages thick. It's a massive, great big thing. We're, we're talking D four damage, improvised melee weapon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I Especially think more when than that. The original, yeah. the original adventure is like this little teeny tiny sixteen page, yeah, car, like thin cardstock cover. Oh yeah, yeah, and Fantastic. they managed to and it, but the book looks gorgeous. Damn straight. Hmm. So uh, it's just how the RPG industry has grown since uh, it's a birth over forty years ago. So Daryl, do you want to take us into number thirteen? Speaking of growth and bringing new people into the game, we have the Core Rules gift set mm. that came out last month. That was the slipcover case that had the uh, player's handbook, monster manual, and dungeon master's guide, plus the 
the uh, DM screen in a slipcover case that was available. Uh, if you went to Hobby Storage, you can get a special cover for it. And if you ordered online, it was just the same. And it was the retail price is the same price as if you're buying all three separately. So it makes it a really good jumping on point for new players who just, uh, whether you need it, which this time of year, whether you need a gift for someone you want to get into the game or who plays and never brings their own books ever, like mm. my groups always never did, please start bringing your books to the game. Buy your own book and bring it to the game, please. I do Stop. love those alternate covers. They are gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah, it's that same style alt cover they've been using for a lot of the products where they sell them in stores. Yeah. And it's like this almost not quite monochromatic, but it's got that feel of monochromatic to them. I, I couldn't quite nice. justify buying that for myself, but if someone were to buy that for me for Christmas, I'd be quite pleased. <laughs> but uh, yeah. I suspect no one will. And the big thing for players was it was the first uh, printing that included the new Errata that yes. just came out yes, in indeed. November. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so we move on to number 12. Number 12 is all about the growth of D&D because one of the big news items was uh, when it was announced by uh, Wizard of the Coast when they were speaking to the Seattle Times back in May, a few stats, that D&D has over 15 million players in North America alone. Now, if you think Ooh. about that figure for a second, 15 million. Now, what's the population of North America? Uh, about... 350 million, 400 million. Right. So we're talking one in 20 Americans, if you do the if you do the maths on that, which sounds mm -hmm. implausibly high to me, but that's I, I'm sure it's true. I'm sure they wouldn't make it up. So 15 million players, one in 20 Americans are D&D &D players. That's a lot. That sounds high, doesn't it? Don't you think? We've got five, eight, 579 million, according to the 2016. Yeah, uh, sounds about right. So that, that, that um, all right. So that would make it slightly. That would be uh, America, Canada, Mexico, oh, right. yeah, course, and some yeah. parts of Central America. So in that case, you're still you're still talking about one in twelve America. Uh, no, one in thirty Americans. Yeah, yeah, that's still Which a is lot. Pretty impressive. But the more, so the other interesting stat that came out at the same time was that forty percent of those people are women. Forty mm -hmm. percent. So we should be having fifty. Well, yeah, but the, um, the point is, it wasn't that long ago when that figure was about ten percent. Uh, certainly back in the, uh, the era of D&D like third edition and stuff like that, the, the figures that were coming out were 10% or less, and now it's up to 40%. Mm. And I think it's I think it's showing that D&D uh, &D is definitely becoming more and more inclusive and more representative of the demographics of the people. Yeah, yeah. even if they were always there, but it's the fact that they're also responding positively to surveys and participating in the community as well. They're, because the community is becoming more inclusive and more open, women people of color lgbt etc mm. are feeling more comfortable coming out and expressing themselves as fans of role-playing as fans of dnd as they should what was also interesting on the player acquisition front um an interesting stat came through that more than 50 percent of new players since 2014 got into mm. the game by watching games online more than half of them that just shows how big things like critical role and all the other streaming platforms are and how mm -hmm. important they are oh. to, to the growth of the industry. Yeah, and things like Discord games as well. Like, it's such a major platform. It's not merch. It's a sort of MSN Messenger-style chat program with the option of using voice. But, yeah, um, even that has, like, that caused whole piles of people to get into mm. it. And, obviously, D&D Beyond does provide a lot of support for online gaming. Mm. Right. Let's move on to number 11. Uh, Timeless, the new Dristo Erden trilogy by R.A. Salvatore. Mm. That I think this was something that has 
popped up earlier on Amazon. It was a splash with Ian World, and then it took several months later before it was actually officially renowned, uh, officially announced. Uh, it's got all your classic Dark Elf Drifts, Drifter Warden, uh, New Trilogy, Swordplay, Danger, and so forth. Uh, Menzo Baranzen. It's uh, one of the stories that uh, Salvatore has been wanting to tell for a long time, which involves uh, Jaraxel and Drist's father. Um, Zach yeah. Is that Zach, there are Zach so Zach many Drist books now. I've, I just can't mm-hmm. even keep up with them, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Um, absolutely. And uh, obviously, Jaraxel does make his appearance in Waterdeep Dragon Heist. Yep. Uh, because I think the original article was, what, Tuesday, 6th of February? And then it actually was only planned to release when, oh, what was it October time, Russ, when Dragon Heist came out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, I remember you saying at the time that it was quite a surprise because you thought it had to come out already. But no, no, that was just Amazon leaking. Yep. So, shall we move on to the next one, which is number 10 yeah. for Daryl? Number 10. Most players prefer humans without feats. Uh, this was just a bit of kind of uh, data that uh, Jeremy Crawford had shared uh, where he talked about uh, what they're seeing through various uh, methods that they're seeing like D&D Beyond and other ways of character creation that most people play humans and they don't use the optional feats system. Uh, which, if you play D&D 5th uh, edition, you know that humans have two variants where one is you get plus one to all attributes and one you get plus one to two attributes and you get a feat. Hmm. So apparently not a lot of people were going for the feats option. It's interesting, yeah. I mean, they... I, when I originally reported the news item, I, I got it slightly wrong because I thought mm-hmm. he said most people, most players preferred humans without feats. So that you know yep. that was the humans without feats was the most popular character choice. It's actually two separate choices unlinked. Most prefer humans, and most prefer playing without feats. But that doesn't necessarily yep. make humans without feats the most popular character choice. It doesn't quite yeah. work like that. But there's a slight logical disconnect there. And um, yeah, Jeremy Crawford. Um, I think was slightly annoyed with me that I got that wrong. He <laughs> 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 was also very insistent that elves and dwarves you recognise as being yeah. Um, majorly important. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, uh, yeah, they got a bit upset with me about that for some reason. I don't know. I, yeah, whatever. Um, so uh, people, yeah, people prefer playing humans, and they prefer playing without feats. No matter what they do with other race options and stuff. That's, that's, the, yeah, that's the most it, popular choice. Yeah, it, it's tricky. I mean, feats are quite a lot of fun in customising your character. But on the other hand, you know where you stand with, with an ASI, like an ability increase. Mm-hmm. It's going to be, it will be guaranteed to be helpful. Whereas the feat, you could get something wrong. Um, but yeah, that's interesting stuff, all right? Which leads us to number... Nine. Number nine. Number nine. Number nine was Eberron. The Wayfarer's Guide to Eberron, which appeared uh, back in July on the DM's Guild in PDF format. Yeah, this um, whole so thing kind of got sprung on us, too. I remember it was, when it happened. It, it, it was, yeah, mm. yeah. So what initially like, hey, happened... Hey, we're doing Eberron. Here it is. You can go buy it. So what initially happened, it was, again, it was a slight leaky type thing. So what initially yeah. happened was people noticed that Eberron had appeared in the options on the back end of um i believe that was uh, david floor david floor was the first one to notice that right uh and then very very shortly thereafter uh, it was actually announced and then the uh and the pdf dropped so everyone not only became available on dm's guild for people to sort of set their adventures in and write content for but you also got this uh, pdf setting book 
which Keith Baker, creator of the Eberron, you know, was involved in in, in writing, mm-hmm. which made, makes you know makes Eberron. Because I think uh, with fifth edition, there's uh, there's been quite a lot of criticism that they're very very focused on the Forgotten Realms. Forgotten Realms. Forgotten again, Realms. Again. Yeah. Forgotten Realms. Forgotten Realms. An island outside of Forgotten Realms, but still in Forgotten Realms. Well, they, they had and Raven, we're making they had, Ravenloft in Forgotten Realms. Yeah, they had Ravenloft, but now they've had <laughs> now they've had Edwin and they've had Ravnica, obviously. So they're definitely you know spreading out a little bit now. Yeah. But yeah, so that uh, everyone was the uh, number nine most viewed, most popular D and D related RPG article of 2018. So number eight, Peter. That would make number eight. What? That would make number eight. The Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica. Oh yes. Yep. Which I must say is actually one of the more exciting high fantasy settings that I've seen in quite some time. It's almost like a we were, we weren't even sure how to categorize this as a genre, were we, Russ? I mean, what what do you reckon, Daryl? Is it like major punk? What is this? This city city spanning almost Alderanian like world that has been created, stratified. There, with yeah, there is a all sorts specific genre for this where it's not magic punk ex- exactly because uh, Eberron is magic punk. That's lightning spells or powering trains kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, Ravnica is more traditional fantasy, but it's very urban city based. It's uh, very akin to Waterdeep in that general style but not remotely the same uh it's a very large very city urban i i would call it urban fantasy except for urban fantasy is strictly a contemporary genre yeah contemporary is a modern day yeah yeah it is but it is a fantasy it is high fantasy in an urban setting i want to say there's a word for that specific genre but i cannot remember it right now Uh, medieval (laughs) urban fantasy i don't know yeah I'm sure you. I'm sure you can edit yourself in, sounding clever later. Mm. Possibly, <laughs> you don't enough for us. Um, <laughs> no, absolutely. Um, I just really liked the whole the shadow run vibe that you're getting off it, but with the ease and simplicity of being able to use mm. D20. Mm. It could. I don't know if it's going to be perfect, and there are definitely things that I'm like, okay, that'd be interesting. But I must say, I've actually obtained a copy of Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica. Probably going to run it at some point um, if. Unless somebody offers to run it for me, in which case I would leap on that with both hands. And unsurprising, um, it's, unsurprising, it's also one of the most beautiful books in terms of art because of the gorgeous. art from yeah. Match of the Gathering. Gorgeous. Yeah. Gorgeous, I th- gorgeous. I think uh, we, we, we noted at the time the difference between that and Dungeon of the Mad Mage. Mad Mage. Whereas Dungeon yeah. of the Mad Mage had about one piece of art every sort of 10, 15 pages, and Ravnica yeah. has one basically every other page. Or, or mm-hmm. more, in fact, I think. It's like one, every 1. 1.5 pages is a gorgeous piece of colour art. It's absolutely lovely. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's um, absolutely fascinating. And, of course, for people who are fans of the Magic the Gathering setting, it's going to be amazing. Hmm. Uh, anyway, that takes us round to number seven. Hmm, Daryl. Number seven was is the long-running... I believe this speculation started back in 2017. Is Spelljammer coming to D&D 5th edition? Hmm. It's... Still has not yet, but there is so much evidence piling up that it's eventually going to pop up somewhere in some some way, shape, or form. It's basically Easter egging itself all over the place, isn't it? Mm. Is what yes. it's doing. So it's with uh, the uh, mind flare captain. And I, part of me sometimes wonders if are, are they just playing with us, and it's just never going to come. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I don't know. But yeah, uh, Look, don't, don't, don't don't test me. I want. My giant miniature space hamster, or my yeah. even my miniature giant space hamster, hamster largely so I can use that immortal line. Go for the eyes, boo. Go for the eyes. Yeah, I mean, there's 
so many little tiny reasons to sort of think maybe it's coming, but no single thing is compelling enough that you could put your put your hand on it and just say, yeah, all right, Spelljammer is definitely coming. But so many tiny little hints that when you add them all together, you think, mm, maybe, maybe. But who knows? They haven't announced it. It's just a lot of hot speculation right now, isn't it? Yep. I imagine if an announcement is coming, they're probably going to allow the Christmas and post-Christmas periods to go through uh, and allow the fact that they have dropped Dungeon of the Mad Mage, Waterdeep Dragon Heist, and Ravnica mm. in the space of, what, two months less? Yeah, their pattern mm. that, usually, that's a lot, that's usually what is uh, closer to February and March for the next big announcements. Mm. Mm-hmm. Usually so. Yeah. Well, they'll, they'll presumably have another big stream at some point next year because they're doing yeah. that yearly now, and I assume that will announce whatever the next big setting is, at least. Yeah, mm-hmm. if we're seeing Spell Drama, it will be summer next year. If. That's a big if. 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 Number six. Number six was Waterdeep Dungeon of the Mad Mage. Big old mega dungeon announced uh, earlier this year, uh, came out in uh, fall 2018, earlier this year. I think everybody who listens to this podcast probably knows all about it because we've talked about it at well, length. Exhaustive yep. length. Yeah, a 23-level <laughs> dungeon which takes you from levels 5 to 20, character levels, five or 6 to 20, I believe, sorry, yep. containing, yep. you know, lots and lots and lots of different themes, each with a different, each level has a different theme. Um, I think, you know, if people want to know more about that one, they should just listen to our podcast about it, which was only two weeks ago, was it? Three weeks ago? No, uh, it was almost a month. It was last month. Wow, yeah. was it? It was last month. It was more recent yeah. than that. Okay, fair enough. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, in at number six was the uh, second D&D product for fall 2018, Waterdeep Dungeon of the Mad Mage. Nice big mega adventure there. Which I really think that was a... If they had to release two products back-to-back doing Ravnica and Dungeon of the Mad Mage were the two products to do because they're very similar but very different audiences mm. at the same yeah. time. Ravnica is more for Magic the Gathering fans as well as D&D fans. Uh, it's a lot more bright. It's a lot more com- colorful, while Dungeon of the Mad Mage is a lot more streamlined. It's uh, appealing more to the old school Dungeon Crawl fans. Mm-hmm. Right. A lot more stripped down. Yeah. Number five. Number five was the next Dungeon Dragon storyline, which was Waterdeep Dragon Heist. Yes. Which, again, yep. interesting book offering multiple different ways of replayability which is not something I've generally looked for in a D&D book before. I understand Curse of Strahd did it very well. It's Taroka deck. But yeah, here we are. Waterdeep. You've got dragon. You've got dragons, as in money, apparently, and that you're attempting to conduct a heist. Mm-hmm. And that's initially supposed to be a feeder into Waterdeep Dungeon of the Mad Mage. So having the two books released very close together means that you've got a real opportunity to do like a 1 to 20 campaign which is often promised, very rarely delivered. Mm. Okay, let's move on to but number yeah. four, shall we? Number four, uh, the announcement of the new D&D designer, Kate Welsh, mm, which mm. Oh, Kate Welch has a long history in gaming, both in video games and in tabletop games, as well as streaming. Uh, she was hired on as a new designer, and there was a lot of controversy in questioning her credentials, which has never really happened yeah. before with any other new hire for, and I can't understand why Kate Welch might that be? have gotten this much scrutiny hmm. when others uh, did not. Uh, but I, I'm sure it must be entirely because it's some sort of ethics in game journalism. Oh, sorry, that's something different. I'm thinking of. Yeah, and it must be entirely because it's very important to make sure that every single new hire at D and D or Wizards of the Coast is. 
properly qualified, <laughs> and so yeah. we want them to be disqualified for any reason whatsoever. Yeah. No, um, well, 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 well done to Kate, and uh, certainly hats off to Wizards of the Coast for employing someone. Yeah. And I'll say this, no one's been questioning her since her products have been coming out. Uh, her work's been outstanding. Well, of course it has. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Hmm. Like, you don't get to work at Wizards of the Coast if you're a slacker. You know what I'm Yeah. Yeah. Should we move on to number three? Yes. So, right. number three was all about a tweet from Mike Merles. Could you believe that was the <laughs> third most talked about topic of the year? Mike Wells made a tweet. Yes. Uh, so I, I, I could believe that, actually, yeah. unfortunately. Yes. So this was in September. <laughs> it wasn't just one tweet, to be fair. It was a, a big, long tweet thread. It was actually a page of text. So uh, Mike Wells talked about D&D and its overall design goals and how that's changed from previous editions. Obviously, I can't really I don't know, read it all out, but I think probably the thing that really drove the popularity of it was the phrase, if you make a game for blah, 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 beep, beep uh, be ready, <laughs> a willing, and able to deal with beep, it's beep. also why D&D got out of the business of trying to fix obnoxious people. <laughs> I can see that. I can see that there might be a certain amount of that being linked to absolutely everywhere where problem players are discussed. Mm. Mike Morales was subtweeting. Oh, really? What does subtweeting mean, Daryl? Because I don't actually know. Uh, subtweeting is this, uh, vaguely related to vague booking, but it's where you're mm. talking about someone without actually naming who they mm. who it is that you're talking about. So he was like obviously this- talking about a few communities that seem to be, I don't want to say pandering, but pandering to a specific type of audience that ends up creating a community around those products, which is inherently toxic. Mm. Well, we are on number two now. Uh, so this is back to settings. Nathan Stewart, who's Wizard of the Coast brand director, back in June um, said that Wizard of the Coast plans to open up a couple more D&D settings for play. Uh, <laughs> yep. So this is kind of a, a repeat of earlier news items that we've mentioned. They kind uh-huh. of fold into this uh, because I think essentially what we're talking here is Eberron and Ravnica. Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically. But this is when the, this is when the hints first started coming out about these back in June, and him just mentioning that there are two more settings coming out made the news yep. and got a lot of a lot of play, a lot of discussion. I mean, yes. the, the thread on it at the moment has quite sinisterly six hundred and sixty six comments on it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what he said at the time was, "We have two surprises. I think hardcore D and D fans are really going to love coming this summer." And then I think we got one surprise that's going to release later this year that we've not told anyone about. We're going to announce it in July. So obviously they announced all that and it all came out. But um, yeah, the, the amount of attention that got at the time was, uh, was phenomenal, even though it was literally just a, uh, we've got something to announce later announce. It was an announcement of an announcement of an announcement, essentially. <laughs> so, um, whoa, whoa, are you sure you want to dive into that pre-announcement now? <laughs> having a pre-announcement yeah, otherwise people might not get the birds. Yeah, so yeah, so the second most talked about news item of the year was two new settings for D&D coming. And uh, we now know what those were. And then we can move on to number one, and I think it's Peter's turn to tell us what the number one news item of the year was. The number one, the most popular, the single most popular item, the one that received the most eyeballs on the whole of the Ian World website, would be Mordenkainen's Tomb of Foes. Mm. It's like a 
essentially a set of material for uh, GMs to work with, filled with a vast array of exciting new demons, devils, and other monsters. <laughs> uh, there's there's a little bit of stuff in there for the players as well, but on the whole, it's essentially almost almost like a new monster manual for Fifth uh, Dead D&D. So it's been very eagerly anticipated and very well received. What was quite funny about um, this was... Um uh, so instead of the word tome on the front cover, the original printing had the word tomb. If, if, you, if, if you got the article in front of you, if you have a look at Mike Mills and I think is that Nathan Stewart? I'm not sure who that is. S- sitting there holding up the books. Ah, yes, tomb of foes. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, on the on the original uh, printing, it actually says T-O-M-B, tomb of foes, rather than tome of foes. And they actually only realised that during the live stream oh, when God. people pointed it out. Which was quite amusing. But luckily, I think those were just proof copies. At least I hope they were, not an entire yeah. print run. At which point, I imagine, wouldn't it be easier just to change the, mark, the publicity around it rather than reprint the print run? But Yeah, because um, yeah. Watsi, Watsi print runs are huge. Yeah, to have yeah. to pop one of those would have... Yeah, yeah so I assume, all, I assume... They would have pivoted on the marketing. Yeah, I'm assuming those were just a couple of proof copies from a very, very yeah. short um, proof run. Print one, and the actual book did come out with the uh, correct title, Tome of Foes, not Tomb of Foes. Uh, yeah, it came out, it had uh, had its own special cover as well, exclusive cover for, I think, was that just uh, just from game stores, or was that available in yeah, Amazon that was as well? In, uh, that was if you ordered it through um, Wizard Play Network store, right, yeah, they got yeah. the alternate covers. Yeah, yeah. And it's a lovely oh. book as well, I mean, I have it here, and uh, did, did we do an episode on it? I can't remember. Nope, it came out uh, before. It was too early the, for that, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, absolutely lovely book. Cram full of monsters. Uh, and it is officially the most talked about and most viewed and most read and most popular, not only D&D news item, but RPG news item of 2018. It, it's an impressive result for them. I mean, I think at least some of it's going to be just due to the fact that they had like at least half the monsters were CR 10 or above, and there's the advice on running high CR monsters, mm. uh, CR being challenge rating, and essentially what's used to calculate whether this monster will be a worthy foe for your party. Mm. Yep. And yeah, no, it, it's nice to actually have that, because a lot of this sort of thing isn't actually explicitly written down mm. in the player's handbook or the DMG. Mm. Right then. So that's it. That's, that's our top 10 news items. So the top 10 D&D one, Modern Conan's Tome of Foes, the top 10 RPG one, Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Yes. Oof, what a ride it's been. Um, Daryl, thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, thank you guys for having long, me. been a long, long episode. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It's been it's been an absolute marathon, uh, and I'm sure that the various spoilers uh, where Russ reveals yet more of his plans for world domination will certainly be uh, of interest. Yeah, right. Shall we sign off? Shall we sign off? Because we uh, we have been going for three we yep. should sign three up. hours. It's, absolutely, it's been a marathon podcast, uh, but it's been like absolutely fantastic yeah. to have you on. As I said, Daryl, brilliant to actually have uh, your voice and your direct feedback as opposed to hearing about it only later when i'm playing back the podcast yeah. to listen to what it sounds like brilliant stuff yeah yeah it, it is a little bit different to be able to talk directly instead of using the uh 
inserted in post voice of God. <laughs> yeah. Where I get where no matter what the argument is, I always get the last word because I'm the one that's exporting the audio file at the end. <laughs> I get that this trend continues. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. to make us sound too bad. <laughs> right. Right. Let's sign off. So uh, that's the end of the podcast for the week. It's the pretty much the end for the year because next year, next year, next week is a special sketch compilation. Yep. So I guess, I guess this is the end for us. The end of the podcast. Oh, I thought you meant and the end of the year. The end of the podcast. The end, and of, the end, year, of, the year. The end of the world. It's the end of the world as we know it. And a bit well, of if someone hadn't no, gotten zero so many times last week in the <laughs> game, we wouldn't have had that singularity. Yeah, it's all your, it's all your what, fault, Peter. What can I say? If Russ is going to ask me hard questions, that's really not on me. And also, who's, whose design was it? So uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. It has been wonderful yeah. having you on the show, Daryl. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming along. You are, of course, welcome back anytime. So uh, that will be me signing off. So it is goodbye from me, Russ. It's goodbye from me, Peace Coffee. And it's goodbye from me, Daryl. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Listening to that drivel just made me feel nauseous. Maybe a spot of eyeball raking will make me feel a bit better. But which one shall I torture? I do enjoy Russ's screams, but Peter makes these wonderful gurgling noises when he's in pain. Decisions, decisions.